you have so many skills and qualities that you don't realize because it's not so obvious, like it's not written on the job specification. Even see if you work in a restaurant and it's super busy and you can stay relaxed, that is a good skill to have for working in code or anything. Try and take what you do have and transfer it into something that can be adaptable to multiple situations. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. This is a weekly show where one week I interview a recently hired junior developer and then the next week an industry expert like a hiring manager, recruiter or senior developer so that you can learn how to break into tech from both sides. I'm your host, Alex Booker, and today I'm joined by Sean Jackie Hickman, who was recently hired as a junior developer. When Sean was just 15, he knew he wanted to be an English teacher, but he didn't have the grades necessary to enroll in uni for English. He took a windy path to eventually graduate in business, but his degree didn't lead to the work opportunities that he finds fulfilling. That's around the time Sean discovered a language other than English. I'm talking about JavaScript and Scrimba. 12 months later, he was just hired and he joins us today to share his 5am study routine, job hunting strategy, the advice he wish he knew at the beginning, and how he met his now boss at a Call of Duty gaming event. Yeah, <laughs> you're listening to the Scrimba podcast. Let's get into it. I definitely didn't think I was going to work in computing from when I was younger. I always had a computer when I was young, but it never really interested me in ways of like um, working with it. Like I just wanted to play games on it, really. I didn't have that scrappy attitude. Like if my computer was broke, I wouldn't try and fix it. I didn't have that natural draw to it. I knew what I wanted to do since I was 15. Like I wanted to teach English. At uni, I did business management. I wanted to do English, but I didn't have the grades. And business was okay, but my journey through higher education was very alternative. First, I went to do social sciences, and then I went to do business. I failed the first one. Then I went to uni to do accountancy and law. Failed that. Then I switched to business, and then I failed. <laughs> and then I left uni, went back to uni to do business, and then passed. And then I was going to do the postgrad in higher education and then teach that. So I was going to teach business. Ah, and that was kind of the plan. But then COVID happened and I thought computing was kind of cool. So I had this IT apprenticeship thing that I found. So do you know when you hear about people who spend loads of money on a boot camp? And it's loads of money, but it's like a really good experience. Well, I paid loads of money and had an absolute fiasco of an experience. <laughs> what? I think I got scammed. I paid like £1,400. And this is why I thought it was a scam, right? You had to pass an exam that included nine certificates. So it was like A+, A Security, A Network, Cisco, like all these different certificates. This was like a boot camp or something else? I think it was like a cult or something, man. Honestly, it was a nightmare. I... It was uh, just like a crash course thing where like you learned all this stuff and when you passed, you got a job. But the criteria to pass was like super elevated. So I did that and it was a nightmare. So a couple of years later, the thing that reignited my desire to get into it, funnily enough, do you know those <laughs> videos and it's like a day in the life of a programmer? And it's like 10 a.m. Go surfing. <laughs> so I knew that they weren't actually like that, but it did kind of get me thinking the life of a developer is pretty good. You know, the freedom, you can work anywhere. The work is challenging and creative. So I looked at Udemy. I found a course for front-end development, HTML, CSS, a little touch of JavaScript. 
And I used to listen to podcasts like, all day at my old job. And I was just searching for, you know, like front end development computing podcasts. And I found Scrimber. So the first interaction I ever had with Scrimber was actually the podcast before I knew it was anything else. That's wild. Yeah, it was cool. And it was really fun. And uh, I liked it. So it kind of intrigued me. I went on the website. I think I did the first JavaScript module. The first thing I did was, do you know the scrim that Pear does with like the train counter? Yeah, yeah, like the passenger counter. Classic. And Pear is super cool, man. I like his style and his approach. And I was just kind of sucked in by the personality of it. It was super friendly and just fun. You know, I, I like that. So I went down the career path and I ended up making a connection with someone from a LAN party that I went to. Yeah, I saw in Discord you mentioned that. That's probably one of the most unique ways I've heard of someone <laughs> meeting their now boss and getting an intro to a company. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get into that in a second. Probably you weren't listening to podcasts while teaching English. So I guess I'm missing something there in terms of what you were doing for work before you stumbled upon coding again. Yeah, the job before this was like a one of those massive grey corporate companies where I was employee number E12B and I was just to sit at my desk and <laughs> kind of be quiet kind of thing. Yeah. What was the actual title? I think it was like customer service representative, something like that. So kind of using some of that business knowledge to support customers. I mean, that's a good way to put it, but I don't know if I would describe it that way. <laughs> I'm sure they would like me to describe it that way, but um, it was like, do you know one of those jobs where you feel like you're only doing it because the company haven't yet invested to get a computer to do it? It was like, it was a job for a computer. It's like a back office admin, super boring. It was okay. I mean, it comes with positives. Like I met a really good friend there and it led to other things. And like I said, I could sit and listen to podcasts and it was a good um, kind of stopgap. Good job for studying, but not a good career job, if you get me. No, a hundred percent. And that's just the way it goes sometimes, to be honest. Like you can't necessarily make the change you want in your career in one step. If you can, that's great. But I don't think that works for everybody because they have bills to pay. It just doesn't feel right. Maybe they can see a way to make it work while also working a job, right? Maybe they listen to podcasts when they can or conserve their energy a bit. So they can invest in something that really lights them up like coding. How did you actually approach the studies then? It sounds like you mostly did the Scrimber front-end developer career path with Per et al. Did you sort of do this after work on the side or was it something you could focus on full-time? My study routine was pretty rigorous once I got into it. I was working full-time and I've worked full-time since I left high school. So uh, through all my uni endeavors and college and everything, I've always worked full-time, which some people are like, oh, it's so hard to do anything when you're working full-time. And I get it, like it's difficult, but because it's all I've ever known, it's kind of easier for me to manage. I would wake up in the morning at like five and study for like maybe an hour, a couple of hours, and then go to work. And then I would come home and I would do other things that I wanted to do. And then I would study afterwards. I hear a lot of advice on the, like I've seen loads of videos about, you know, how to become a developer and you need to, you know, only focus on coding. And if you're not at work or dealing with a necessity, you should be coding. And see, it doesn't really work for me because I already had loads of good habits that still benefited my life that I wasn't willing to sacrifice. Like I like to exercise and play music and spend time with family and, and I wasn't willing to sacrifice those for coding. So I just put it into the time that I still had spare. I think if I just did it all day, every day, I don't think I would have enjoyed it, really. Nah, man. You have to recharge a little bit in between, I feel like. Oh, for sure, mate. 
consistency is the key. You don't want to like overwhelm yourself. How many hours a day would you say you were coding and practicing code? I would say like two to three hours. That wasn't every day, but two to three hours was like my ideal kind of another one and a half in the morning and then same in the evening, which is a decent amount of time. Alongside a full-time job, that's very decent. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, not too bad. I found that doing it all after work was a nightmare. Uh, it was just too much. So breaking up, doing some in the morning, worked for me. What time did you go to bed if you were waking up at 5am? I'd go to bed like 10. Yeah, that's good. The idea of waking up in the morning early, some people call it a power hour. Just an hour to yourself at the beginning of the day with less distractions because in this digital world, less people are online. Uh, but also if you have kids, for example, they're still sleeping, maybe this power hour to start your day right. I think that's awesome. But obviously, if you're burning the candle on both ends, going to bed really late as well, that sounds a bit like a recipe for burnout. Why do you think you have this honestly really great approach to balance and harmony when it comes to things that recharge you and obviously spending the discipline to practice a skill like coding? Obviously, we know a lot of people struggle with this. I struggle with this. There's a whole YouTube market of people making day in the life videos, as you know, sharing advice about how to optimize their life and their day. It sounds like you've got a pretty good intuition for it. Where does that come from? So there's a lot of factors that motivate me to get things done. When I initially thought about getting back into coding, I think I just went through a breakup. And I've only had two kind of rough breakups in my life. And both of them were really good for my development afterwards. Like we split up and I was like, okay, this sucks. So I need to make a significant change in my life to, you know, just make the situation better. You know, we're titling this episode, Learning to Code After Heartbreak. Hey, let's do it, man. I'll get my guitar right and everything. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, man, I was like, this sucks. So I need to like change something. Like it's up to me to change my environment and to make my you know, life better. So that was one factor for sure. Another factor was in my previous job, it really was rough. Like it was good for, you know, podcasts or whatever. But see, in a job like that, for me, when you're just selling your time for money, and it wasn't that much money. So it used to be really great on me. And I was like, I really want to do work that's challenging and interesting. And I really love the philosophy of technology as well. And there's so much to think about, so much to learn and potential. And that was super interesting to me and definitely a factor for technology. The last thing I'll, I'll kind of say for that ability to kind of stay uh, driven is my dad gave me a really good piece of advice when I was young. So he said, like, what do you want to be when you're older? And I said, like, game developer or something, just because I like playing games. And he was like, okay, well, why don't you become an astronaut? And I was like, well, I'm not really that smart. And he was like, okay, well, why don't you become a doctor of medicine or something like that? And we went through a couple of those. And afterwards, he was like, the only thing between you and any of them is discipline, really. Like, there are loads of excuses or whatever, but if you really want something, the only thing really in between you and that reality it's just like the hard work. Like, are you committed? Like, can you do it? And the reality is you can. It's just a case of, will you do it? And when you understand that you can pretty much do anything, then that's really freeing for me. Some people say, oh, I don't have a computer in mind or I don't have an artistic mind, but I don't really see that in anybody. I think we all have insane potential. 
So I want to find mine, you know. I feel like if you are to do something like this, if you're to do something really hard and push yourself, you need to do it over a long enough period of time that you can actually improve and learn a new skill. And that has to be sustainable. And I think when you go at something a little bit too hard, despite the fact you're super eager, that can quite quickly lead to a feeling of not moving quick enough, burnout potentially. And if you zoom out enough, this actually is slower than if you take it steady, doing three hours a day while also making income. Oftentimes being unemployed, it can be a really scary feeling. You don't feel like you're part of society sometimes. I think it's a good way to keep on top of your mindset and like you had a really good approach to this. For sure, man. It worked out. It wasn't easy. I, I see it as if it comes so naturally to me, but it's not as difficult. And I'm not like a quick learner at all. So it takes me many, many times, many attempts to understand something. So if I don't do it every day, like it won't happen. Coming up, Sean's interview process took a long time and he was okay with it. I wanted it to be very natural and for it to be the right thing. I'll be right back with Sean in just a second. But first, Jan, the producer, and I wanted to read some of your comments from social media. After recording this interview, Sean texted Alex saying, Oh, I forgot to mention, I did 100 days of code and made it to the day 136. On that note, I'd like to give a shout out to everybody who has recently tweeted that they were doing 100 days of code and listening to the Scrimba podcast. I'm probably going to forget someone, but there was Emmett, there was Roxana, there was Blake, there was SRJ Codes, there was Thomas, there was Hunter, there was Gubrick, there was Emmanuel. Anyway, if you're a listener of the Scrimba podcast and you're doing 100 Days of Code right now, why not tweet about it and join the community of people who are also doing the same. On LinkedIn, Natalia Davtian says, Thank you very much for the podcast. It really helps me get out of self-doubt and see the reality. Also, they're always fun to listen. Great work. Thank you. And here's a review from three months ago on Apple Podcasts saying, Best podcast for transitioning to a tech career. I honestly can't think of a better resource for someone trying to break into a career in tech than the Scramble podcast. Alex has such a great presence and the guests are the perfect combination of people who are able to get in-depth, actionable advice based on their long professional careers of their own and success stories of Scrimba students who are able to break into tech themselves. It's a surprisingly binge-worthy podcast and I recommend it to everyone I meet who is still in the process of breaking into tech. Well, if you're feeling really supportive, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever may be the podcast app of your choice or join the conversation on LinkedIn or Twitter. Honestly, as long as whatever you post contains the words Scrimba podcast we will find it and you might get a shout out that's it for this mid-roll and now we're back to the interview with sean let's go along the path of getting this opportunity as i'm sure people listening will be curious about this connection between a land party and you getting the job it's not always obvious when you should be ready to apply and how to go about doing it was this something you were you proactively pursuing a job like on LinkedIn and stuff when this kind of serendipity happened or did it just happen and you ran with it? Yeah, I was applying on LinkedIn and my LinkedIn experience is another story I can tell you. I don't know if I was ready, but no one really feels that way, right? But I was willing to apply and go to interviews and be a fool, but at least learn from it and improve. And very early on, I heard the advice of just apply, just apply and get experience and go interviews and fail them and get better. But 
good advice is only good if you actually take it, right? I never did that until I was maybe halfway through the React basic course. But at that point, I wanted to, you know, apply. The LAN part is totally non-related. I did go to certain events for the job hunt. Like I went to some meetups in Edinburgh and they were fine. But the LAN party, short backstory for the LANs. When I was like 14, my dad took me to a LAN in Scotland for my birthday. And he met a bunch of guys there and they were really cool. And my dad has like an office space. So he would host LANs there and it's just kind of grown from there. And I just went, just chilling, and I was working on a project. I was making a website for my mom's business. And my boss, he walks past, and he was just like, why are you calling that a LAN party, mate? <laughs> so we just kind of got talking, and yeah, he was really cool. He mentioned he was looking for a developer, like a flexible de- a developer kind of role, and like some kind of like business-involved support. And his comp- the, the company I'm working for now is like a startup. So everyone does a little bit of everything. So if I was only a coder, I wouldn't have been a very good candidate for it. But because I have business and so on, I was. But yeah, we just met over the weekend. He was cool. We He had made some music on his computer. He showed me that. We played COD 4. And uh, a really good way to meet your manager is just slaying him in a Call of Duty deathmatch. Um, really <laughs> breaks the ice, <laughs> for sure. What was that? Like a little search and destroy 1v1? We usually play like team deathmatch on the COD 4, like original Modern Warfare game. Yeah, yeah. I know it well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> come, mate. If you have a new Edinburgh man, come. Just like the group of guys that go, yeah, it's been going on for about 15 years. It's a pretty tight group, so we get on well. So your boss of the company you work for now walked past your screen, saw you were doing some coding, and was intrigued enough to strike up a conversation. Now you're working at the company. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was like, we're a land pie. Why are you programming? <laughs> I guess it demonstrates that your dedication to the subject, at least. I mean, you didn't have any idea someone was watching. So I think that must have spoke well for your enthusiasm, at least. I'll just quickly mention as well, by the way, that that's very interesting because you could never have sat down with a pen and paper, you know, writing big letters at the top, job hunting plan and write, go to a LAN, right? It makes no sense. But there's this idea of expanding your luck surface area. The more you put yourself out there, the greater your chance of being lucky. That could be going to local meetups to do with coding. It's really cool you tried that, even if it didn't pan out in terms of your specific opportunity. But by saying yes to the opportunity to code up that website, you kind of obviously had it as an ongoing project and therefore the chance arose to work on it and hack away at it quickly while the person who now you work with walked by. Just a really cool example of how you can't predict how things will pan out. What was the interview process like after you met? See, um, just, just before we move on, that's a really good point. Like that, you never ever hear that in the videos on advice getting a developer job. But everybody at the LAN works in tech. There are so many developers there. So see if there are some LANs in your area. You'd be surprised at how many of those guys are actually in tech. And if you're into gaming as well, it's really easy to make friends with that kind of thing. So maybe we would just uncover the top tip on meeting people in tech. Well, you know, people say networking needs a, a rebrand. Instead of, you know, small tables, business cards and that kind of thing, imagine a kind of LAN party to connect with people in tech. If you could find a game you were all interested in or something with a low barrier to entry, that could be really quite interesting, especially in a city. Best uh, K- KDA gets an internship. <laughs> <laughs> so the interview process was quite long because the company is super small. So taking on a new hire is quite a a big deal. I met my boss in around October. I had an interview with him around the same time. 
I then had an interview with the business development guy in December. The time between interviews is quite important for me to mention for two reasons, right? One was this job works a lot with like PHP and WordPress, which I didn't have any experience in. And I was pretty deep into the front end career path. So at this point, I had about a fork in the road. I was like, do I commit and go for the front end career path and just keep learning React? Or do I switch my entire direction and start learning about PHP and WordPress? And that's quite like a tricky situation. And I fell into the trap of being like, when I was doing PHP, I was like, maybe I should be doing React. And then the same, I would do React and think, maybe I should be doing PHP. So it did kind of mess with my trajectory a little bit. But because there was such a gap in between the interviews, I did projects for them. Kind of had the mentality of, I'm not going to wait for them to maybe give me the job. Like, I'm going to take it. So I started doing projects for them with PHP and WordPress, designing sites, like setting up payment gateway. Like, I was communicating with them the whole time, just saying, like, what do I need to learn to get this job? Like, tell me specifically what you want me to know, and I'll learn it. And they told me, and I learned it. So, um, like, they want to know that kind of thing. So don't be shy if you're speaking to someone who you're maybe going to get a job with, like ask them directly, what do you actually want from me? Because I'll figure out how to do it. Aye, so I had another interview in December and then I had another interview in March and then I got the job in April. So it was quite a long time. It was like six months from the first interview to being hired. It wasn't a quick process by any means. That's an interesting one because, and this is totally valid by the way, and I think it's a great example of planting seeds that might grow into trees later. You kind of made that connection, maybe at a point where that team wasn't quite ready to hire anybody, let alone yourself, right? They maybe just had some emerging requirements. They really had to get their ducks in a row as a startup to make sure they were bringing on someone in a role they felt could be successful in the long term. Just by being warm and being available, you made it easy for them to reach out to you or proceed with the conversation when the time was right. You didn't force it, you didn't rush it, but you did make it very obvious to them that if they want to move ahead, you're someone who can learn the stack and grow alongside them as you'd hope in a startup. Yeah, exactly, man. I didn't want to force my hand. I didn't want to force them into making a decision. I wanted it to be very natural and for it to be the right thing. Because like I care for the guys here as well, like I have an emo- emotional investment in this company, so I wouldn't want them to employ me unless it actually was the right thing for them. And they could tell that as well. Like uh, They like me for my attitude and my culture and things like that. So... It wasn't just my ability to program that come to the job, had no chance. <laughs> you mentioned business development, which I think is a really interesting subject you could teach us about. But what do you say? How about we do a round of quick fire questions first? Let's do it, mate. Let's do it. If you had to pick one, what is the one this feels so biased now? <laughs> what is the one learning resource that has been the most impactful on your journey to learn to code? For sure, Scrimbo, definitely. Yeah, I need to start adapting these questions based on who I'm talking to because I feel like a total shell now, having known your answer based on your description. Anyway. Maybe you could ask him like what project was the best like, throughout the Scrimbo path, like which project maybe had the most influence on your education. Sean, what was your favorite project from the career path? <laughs> I really liked the Chrome extension where you made a personal dashboard. I think APIs are pretty cool and for some reason my brain just likes working with them. So I really enjoyed that. APIs is a bit like you're getting someone else to do the work and they're just sending you the information. So <laughs> I quite like that. What is your favorite technology to use at the moment? Mm, can I say ChatGPT? Does that count as a technology? Because I love using that. Yeah, yeah. I use that for everything, writing emails, like research and code, like honestly everything. I use it for learning stuff music and that 
think it's unbelievable. And if you aren't using it, you definitely should be. What is a technology, as in like a programming language, you would like to learn next when you have the time? I would like to learn Python. I think Python's cool. I like the idea of learning more about backend stuff. You're not tempted to do Node.js and leverage your knowledge of JavaScript at all? I consider that as well. I would need to research it more properly. Somewhere backend would make sense for me. I think it's pretty cool. What kind of music do you listen to when you go? I knew you were going to ask this. <laughs> do you know the Lo-Fi girl? Hip-hop, like everyone knows it, the Lo-Fi channel. I love that. And they just released a new one. It's like Synthwave. Um, so I like that. And Silent Hill soundtrack. The Silent Hill game has an amazing soundtrack. Coding to scores and soundtracks, so underrated. For sure, mate. I love the social network soundtrack. It's perfect for hacking away. Do you look up to or follow anyone in the tech community we should know about and check out after the show? Well, I'll give two answers. One is um, Kevin Powell, because that guy is just a sweetheart. I love his approach. He's super friendly and so nice. I love that guy. We love Kevin. And I think Network Chuck is really cool. He, he, does, he doesn't do any front end stuff, but it's about like, and, like hacking, like cybersecurity, like ethical stuff. And He's got a YouTube channel, right? Network Chuck, yeah, for sure. He's really cool. I like him. Awesome, man. We'll link them both in the show notes. That's it. That's all for the quick fire questions. Questions. And to your point about ChatGPT, I just want to chime in because I was such a reluctant adopter of ChatGPT. I felt like I was cheating. I was like, oh, should I rework this email with ChatGPT? Should I ask it to rephrase this thing for me? And when it came to coding, I hadn't really explored it enough. But now there are so many things that I would have previously searched Stack Overflow for. Like, for example, say you want to access an element on the DOM. Sometimes I forget the methods or I wonder how to do something a bit specific. I'll just tell ChatGPT to generate that code. It will give me the same thing I would have got from Stack Overflow pretty much. So I no longer perceive it as cheating, but even better, it can actually kind of adapt the code to your situation, right? It can generate the code with specific arguments, for example, next level stuff. I think you have to use it or lose it. This is the way things are going. I do wonder though, what the right thing to do as a learner is because with coding, I feel very in control. I feel like I know how to do this. I just need a reminder, but something I'm always trying to improve at is my communication skills and my writing skills. And more and more lately, I've used ChatGPT to make my writing clearer or more persuasive or terse. And I feel like maybe by using ChatGPT to do that, I'm not actually flexing the muscle. I'm not going to become a better writer as a result. And it got me thinking from a new coder's perspective, what that might mean. Have you reflected on it at all? Yeah, it's a really good point, man. I totally agree. I find that way, even what you mentioned before about writing emails, like a lot of the time you'll ask it to rephrase it and be more confident and then it'll just do it. So you don't actually learn it. You don't have the kind of grit that comes with that learning. And the same as the code, like if you ask it, write me a function that does X, Y, and Z. It's just going to do it and then it may work, but has it really benefited you or or has it just kind of, like you said, cheated you? Because aren't there some companies now that have banned using ChatGPT? So it's a really great area because if you don't adopt it, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. But if you just obsess over it and get it to do everything, it's not going to work out either. So I think finding a nice balance is uh, it should be treated as like a tool. Tricky. That's why I, I love the philosophy of technology like that. Considering how much more AI is going to be involved in our life, like I don't think we can really comprehend it yet. It's insane time to be alive. 
and it's everywhere now. I bet you're so fun at a LAN party philosophizing about the future attack while doing 360 no-scopes on, on COD 4. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned business development, which I think is kind of an interesting subject. What is it? So, I mean, it's a broad term. An example for the company, that, the situation our company's in, um, like, we want to kind of redirect our well, direction and change like, our clientele, like what kind of services we're going to offer them. Like, right now, we're like a maintenance and support website, but we are considering moving into like software as a service, that kind of thing. So I think business development is mainly the redirection or realignment of your company that correlates with the members' values, beliefs, um, you know, where they want to be. The business development guy who works here asked a really smart question that resonated with me. And he sat us all down and said, what do you actually want from this business? Because if it's not going to give you what you want, there's no point in us doing it. Like, what do you want to do when you come into work? How much time do you want to spend here, etc.? So we are in a fun position because our skill set is very broad, so we can decide to go in any direction that we kind of prefer. How do you combine that with coding? Because that's what you've done, it sounds like, and that's very interesting. For example, a lot of our clients will speak to us about SEO keywords. So although it isn't necessarily like a coding thing, like I would then take that and we're putting together like a package where we're going to like maintain the website and update it and program it. But for business development things like SEO keywords, we also offer a service for that. It's important because if you're only good at programming, like you need to have a team that can do everything else for you. We can kind of do a little bit of all of it just because we're such a small company, you know. I had a conversation with a guy on the screen about Discord and we were kind of debating, is it better to design a website from the perspective of the developer or from the client? Because I've studied business, I always prefer like the Amazon approach. You start with the client and then work your way back. And that's how I would design a website. Like scalability and so on is really important for a website. But if it isn't right for the client's journey and the user experience, then it doesn't matter how nice it's coded. It's not a good website. It's from my perspective. Like a website is a means to an end. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Like every page on a website should have an objective for the business. For example, to drive a sign up or to get someone to subscribe to a plan could be to inform or educate as well or help them complete a certain action. The page has to accomplish that for the user for it to have business value 100%. Obviously, if the page doesn't work <laughs> because you neglected to think about the architecture or how you implement it, that's also bad for the user. Yeah, and I would rather a client has like a positive journey over the developer spending too much time in an area that they won't actually experience. Everyone who comes on your website is a potential client or subscriber or anything. So ideally, every one of them should leave with something. There's quite a few things I'm taking away from this. The first is that coding is obviously a specific skill. Thinking like a programmer is a specific skill. But within a company, there are still so many other skills that you need to be successful. We know about the obvious things, right? Like communication skills, for example, writing skills. But understanding how the business works, understanding what the customers need, understanding the relation between teams. There is this kind of, I think, a little bit derogatory term, which is like code monkey. This idea that a business person feeds in requirements 
back in the day, a code monkey was someone who wrote the code while the programmer kind of thought about the logic and the instructions and things. But what I'm getting at is that you don't necessarily want to be prescribed very specific tasks you then code. That's a little bit boring, to be honest. It's better, and especially in a startup, if you can really get involved with the decision making, really understand what the business is trying to achieve and give your inputs and respond to things that are happening based on this knowledge, which I think you clearly had from your experience doing business development at uni. And even if that kind of gray corporate environment, I know it wasn't very dynamic, but you bring all these experiences to the table that allows everybody in the team at a startup to be a generalist. Honestly, in professional workplaces, especially startups, and actually that's the only place I'm really qualified to talk because I've only really worked at startups. No, nobody really wants to hold someone else's hand. You know, you don't want to have to explain everything in like very A, B, C, D kind of terms. It would be great if they had a level of understanding, a level of context where they could infer certain things and run with it and come up with solutions. And it sounds like this is the way in which you've combined, you know, you've been doing coding for about a year. That's a very respectable, very solid chunk of time to be doing coding, but you make yourself a more competitive candidate by combining your previous experience. I think this is a really great practical example of this. One that we use all the time at Scrimba in our events and on the podcast and stuff is like, hey, if you're a teacher, maybe you'd be really productive in an edutech company or something like that. But that's quite a 2D kind of example. I like yours a lot as well, because it shows how it's not always so clear cut. You always bring something from your past experience to the table. Honestly, you you have so many skills and qualities that you don't really because it's not so obvious, like it's not written on the job specification. Even see if you work in a restaurant and it's super busy and you can stay relaxed in a really hectic environment, like that is a good skill to have for working in code or anything. So try and take what you do have and transfer it into something that can be adaptable to multiple situations. I'm really glad you did sort of graduate and went on to work at this really exciting sounding company. And I really do appreciate your transparency, by the way, when you said that you didn't have the grades to do English. So you did business management and social sciences and stuff and how you you mentioned that you sort of failed at accountancy and business, but you came back to it, which I think is even more impressive. I can only ask this question with a straight face because I felt this way in the past as well. Like I got really bad grades at school, just for context for anybody listening, like fails. Oftentimes that made me feel a bit stupid, but it wasn't really that I was stupid, obviously. Hopefully it's obvious, but it was that it just wasn't the right environment for me, or I had to spend a bit longer learning how to learn in a way that's conducive for me and, and stuff like that. So I'm just giving you that context because it's quite a personal question. I just feel like I can relate to it. What was your experience like and how do you feel about it looking back? Yeah, um, at school, like I was a riot man. I was just like not there to learn at all. You were trying to get home to play COD 4. Exactly, mate. I've got headshots to begin. I've not got time for these exams, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I had like a pretty fun time at school socially. So I didn't regret failing because it's like you said, like you can just try again. And I failed a lot and I will continue to fail. I'll fail another thousand times. But as long as you try again, it's not so bad. I think... Uh, being able to admit that you failed at something and that you're gonna suck at something when you start. Like the things that I can do now that I'm okay at, like I like to like play music is probably what I'm best at. But when I started, I sucked. Like, and I accepted that. And you need to, if you expect that you're gonna pick something up really quick and you're never gonna fail, you're only setting yourself up for a disappointment. What instruments do you play, by the way? I really love to play guitar, that's my main jam. Um, and I play drums and piano as well. Self-taught? Yeah, I'm just self-taught. There's a thing online called Rocksmith. It's kind of like Guitar Hero, but with a real guitar. Funny enough, like, guitar's my favorite thing, but I got a guitar when I was 12, played it a couple of times, never touched it. I got another guitar when I was 18, same thing. And then I got it again when I was 23. 
and then I just ran with it and now I play it every day. So again, even the things that I love, I didn't get it first time, I didn't get it second time, but I just tried and tried and tried and finally I got it. And that is the story of so many things in my life. Yeah, man, I know that isn't a universal experience. It's only when you try and fail at something over and over again, you eventually get good at it. Do you get that confidence that you can do it again? Like, I wonder if coding would have been so attractive to you if you hadn't already learned guitar. Like, if you can teach yourself guitar, probably you can reason you can teach yourself coding. Yeah, I think so. Um, I see music quite mathematically as well, similar to code. I mean, if you want to do something, you can do it. I think it's really that simple. Like, if you really want to do it, you'll figure it away. People have learned way harder things and way harder situations than I have so I can try to relate to people like that people who are in really brutal environments and didn't have support didn't have guidance but then they figure it out because they've got the commitment and the drive that's really all you need mindset is so powerful for sure man and I think you've given us a masterclass today I don't know about that Sean (laughs) thank you so much for joining me on the Scrimba podcast it's been a pleasure That was the Scrimba Podcast, episode 117. We are a weekly show. There's a new episode every Tuesday, and it's been like that since, I think, April two years ago or something. Which means two things. One is, if you're just discovering us, there's a lot to listen to from our backlog, but also... We're probably not going to miss a Tuesday anytime soon, so subscribe. That way you're not going to miss the upcoming shows. Check out the show notes for the resources and links from this episode, the ways to connect with Sean, and Alex's Twitter handle. If you like this episode, share it with someone or join the conversation on Twitter. I've been Jan, the producer, and we will be back with you next week. Thanks for listening.